0: Welcome to what we're, we're, we're doing is called on the screen. It says the number our days, a biblical approach of the end times. And so when you start talking about the end times, you know, you get, first of all, you get labeled, right? You get put into a category. You've been in that category for a while. Uh, my friend Ray Sturtevant, by the way, Ray is going to be a, 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 an in-house theologian. He'll have a whole lot more banter today than he did last, uh, last Thursday, uh, because I actually believe uh, we can do this together. You know, we got our other guys back here, Rich, Kevin, and Tom. Uh, they'll jump in as well. And so just know that this is a team effort in, in this study. Now, last week when we started it off, I wanted to start it off as a foundation. And that foundation is, is that no matter how nervous people get about the end times or how weird things are getting, like, and by the way, I don't have to worry about being political or not here. Okay, I'm gonna keep telling you that. But when the president of our country decides to announce there's a transgender day that we have to honor, Folks, that's when you begin to be like, you know, where, where are we going? And what is happening? And I have to tell you, though, that's not just in the United States, you guys. Things are getting swirly and squirrely all over the world that we have to know the Word. So regardless of what's coming at us, we have nothing to worry about because our foundation is in Christ. Amen. <laughs> oh, man, I'm so excited about this. And yet, this is probably one of the most key chapters of the scriptures. And it can be kind of intimidating. We're going to be talking about Genesis 3, 1 through 24. Uh, But every time I kept praying into this, every time I kept praying into this, he said, if you're going to talk about the fall of man, you better talk about the fall of Satan. And honestly, wherever I've gone, I've never actually seen it all put together. We've heard bits and pieces and we see the end and we know the end. But before we do, Kevin, can you go to Ephesians 5, 15 through 16? Ephesians 5, 15 through 16, it says this, pay pay careful attention then to how you walk, right? Isn't that what we're talking about? To number our days, we want to be intentional about how we are walking, not as unwise, but as wise. Isn't that, again, the Psalm 90, 12 and 13? What are we asking? For wisdom in our hearts so that we can make the most of our days. So it's the same thing that Paul is saying. And he says, making the most of the time. Now now watch this though. He says, because the days are evil. So to number our days, to set the tone, you've got to understand we're walking into, look, a day that is considered evil. And that kind of a weird way to look about You're, you're waking up You're getting out of your bed, and you're like, okay, let's go. Today's a good day. Or you could say, well, it is an evil day. (laughs) Who says that? But man, I say this all the time, I played basketball in high school in Indiana, and it would have been the weirdest thing if my coach never talked about the opponent. For some reason, it's like this, we're afraid to give the enemy credence, because if we talk about him, that means we've talked about him. But then if we don't talk about them, then we get our butts kicked because we never talked about them. Ray, why don't you think we, we don't talk about the enemy? What do you think?
1: I think some of it is we don't even like to acknowledge that we're in a battle. And we also have an enemy that's a deceiver. And so he's more than happy to create that illusion. That's right.
0: So if you don't think I'm walking into the days are evil, you're really not even thinking that you're in a battle. So when we talk about to number our days, making the most, Ephesians 5, 15, and 16, Paul is releasing this to us. Guys, we have to walk in wisdom in this. Now, in Genesis 1, uh, you have the, we're going to totally going there, okay? This is going to be great. I'm going to summarize Genesis 1 in about two minutes. Uh, it, in Scripture, it says that God made everything in six days, and then he rested on the seventh. I'm not worried about young earth or old earth. Don't get hung up in that stuff, you guys. If that's your interest, great, dig in there. But if that deters you from constantly keeping your eyes on him and ministering to people, put it aside. Okay, we don't have time to make those issues. You can if that's your interest, praise the Lord, but not to the point where it's getting in the way. So you've got the night and day creation. you got the sky and sea creation. you got the land and vegetation creation, the star, the sun, the moon creation. You've got the sea creatures right? The birds and the fish. You've got the animals and mankind and then he was closed on Sunday. In Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A language. For those that are overseas, there's one of our favorite restaurants, by the way, they're closed on Sundays. It's because it's modeled after God resting. <laughs> I got to stop using American humor because you don't even get it. So, all right, so in Genesis 2, Genesis 1 is the creation. Genesis 2, right? This is the, you have to understand this, this layer, okay? Here's the layer, you go into Genesis 2, now you're beginning to get into the, the, the man and woman creation. In Genesis 2, verse seven. Okay, in Genesis 2, verse seven, it says, God formed man, right? Out of the dust from the ground, and then he breathed life into his nostrils. Praise the Lord for breath and nostrils. Laura, let's keep praying. <laughs> I can't breathe through my nostrils. And I'm like, it's just straight through my mouth. So anytime I read that text, I'm like, well, that's not how it was designed, so. The man became a living being. Okay, now watch this. In verse 8, now, here it is. Okay, so God breathed life into man, and then in verse 8, he planted a garden in Eden. you, uh, where is Eden? <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we don't really know where the Garden of Eden is. There's theories, and my, my point in bringing this up is, it's fun to actually say, I don't know, hear you say that, because he never says that, by the way. Here's what happens in the end time stuff. We hang all of our hats on things that we think we know, but we really don't. Don't get hung up on these issues when you're looking at the big picture, when it doesn't really matter. If you're interested in digging deeper, praise the Lord. But my point is that's what's gotten in the way, and that's why there's division in the body of Christ. We make issues when there doesn't need to be an issue. Man was created. He came from dust. God breathed into him. Now there's a garden, and it says in the east, not the west. Thank you, guys. And there he placed the man he had formed. So he puts him there, okay? Now in verse 9, I'm, I'm going there for a reason on this. Verse 9, it says, The Lord caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food. Now it says, Some trees or every tree? Every tree was pleasing in appearance. Where are we at right now? In the Garden of Eden, including in the the tree of life in the middle of the ground uh, in the middle of the garden okay so you have this language now Kevin keep going for me as well as the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil so now we have all of these generic trees then we have the tree of life which is what ray
1: well i think it represents jesus but it's
0: it's it's <laughs> this is why it's so fun to have him here he gave you the jesus answer it okay can you give me the obvious one? That is your obvious one. Never that mind. That is your obvious one. All right. We do know that in Revelation at the end of 22, it says, though, that this is what will, it will go on forever, right? And then anybody that partakes of this, their life will go on forever, which is why Ray would say it's Jesus. I just had to help me, out. Help me help you out your back end. So that's the tree, tree of life, and then you have the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What would that represent?
1: Uh, I think it's, it represents... Um, are seeking to know good and evil apart from God. It's us determining for ourselves what good and evil good.
0: is. Good. Okay. So you got a, a garden, lots of trees, trees, the tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay. Everybody on the same page. Now go to verse 16. Okay. You, in this process. Okay. In verse 16 it says, and the Lord commanded the man, Adam, you're free to eat from any tree of the garden but in 17, he says, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I want you to see that, they see that word, it just says eat, that's all it says. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for on the day you eat from it, what will happen if you eat from this? You'll die, certainly die. So here is the backdrop and I'm bringing this up because in Genesis two, people don't study Genesis two in order to understand Genesis three. Okay, so now here you have, this is kind of the layer. Now in 18, just as you're setting the stage, okay, this is all you're setting the stage. In 18, then the Lord God says, hey, it's it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper as his complement. Now, do you realize, this is really crazy, in 19, I don't know if many people really understand this, so God was going to give a helper, but then do you know what he started doing from that point on? It says, the Lord formed out of the ground each wild animal and each bird of the sky. And then he brought the animals to Adam to see that he would call him. And then whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And so uh, this is the layer. So the animals, so God was going to provide a helper. Do you understand that? And what did he bring him at first? Animals. Animals came. So, yeah, and they're companions, right? This is that mentality. So here we are. Where are we? We're in the Garden of Eden. You got the tree of life. What other kind of tree do you have? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then all other, all other trees. Adam's alone. God starts bringing some animals. In that process, as it begins to unfold, go to verse 21. Verse 21 it says, So the Lord caused a deep sleep to come over the man. He slept. God took one of his ribs, closed the flesh at that place right? And it continues on to 22. And it says, then the Lord made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman, and then he brought her to the man. So God saw that the animals weren't working for Adam. That's really what it comes down to. So what happened because of that? He brought a woman. I'm bringing this up because as strange as this sounds, we are a biblically illiterate community. And so when I say the fall of man, you have to understand, how did we even get to this point? God, I believe not through evolution, but by creation, like we have got to start standing firm on this. God says he created it. Why do we have to read more into this? He created it. He gave us man. And then he gave us a garden. He gave us lots of trees. He gave us some animals. God says, you know what? That's not working for you. I'm going to give you a woman out of your rib. Now we have a man and a woman and they're both in the garden of Eden. It sounds so simple, and yet we have to understand the foundation to know why there's going to be a battle. And so it actually sets place in a beautiful garden. Uh, I just, I can't imagine walking around that garden at that time. And again, this sounds strange, but by the way, man and woman at this point, they're totally naked. They're not clothed. And I don't mean this in any kind of weird way, but in Genesis 2.25, it says, the man and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. There was nothing wrong with this environment. Now, when you enter into our teaching, in Genesis 3, verse 1, it says, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals. So we have already established, correct, that animals are around, right? Everybody would say so, right? says, now the serpent was the most cunning of all of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. So we know God made this animal. That's actually important. God made this animal and he said to the woman, the serpent, now here's my question. Well, let, let's go through this for a second. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Who on earth is this serpent? Who on earth allowed an animal to start talking all of the sudden uh, by the way to the woman? So this serpent is talking. So we have to start doing a couple things, okay? Let's start going here if we can. So this serpent, a couple of little different layers. Okay, one is this snake. Just gonna give you, one of my goals always is I wanna paint a picture, not necessarily always what my view is, is what, what is it out there? At some point, it actually has a real snake body. Why do I say that? Well, at least we know that in 3.14, it was cursed, and we told, he was told that this is how that snake is actually going to function. Okay. Now, there's more to it than just a literal snake, but I just kind of want to set the tone, and then, Ray, you can jump here in a little bit. Okay, the other layer is this. Okay? Kind of interesting. Satan himself... Described as a snake. Okay. So you're in a garden. you got a man and a woman. All of a sudden, a snake starts talking to you. (laughs) Can you go to Revelation 20, verse 2? And I'd really encourage you guys to start writing down these verses because what we're going to start doing is just showing you a bigger picture. Revelation 20, verse 2. It says this. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil... And Satan. Just to clarify, the devil and Satan, Ray, are? It's a serpent. is a serpent. And you're going to see that he's going to be bound for a thousand years. Now that's in the end, that's in the Revelation, that's a thousand year period. So here's why I want to show you this end picture, you guys, is that this snake in Revelation that's going to be bound for a thousand years in the millennium, okay, is the same picture, the same snake that we're seeing in the Garden of Eden. Ray, you want to jump in?
1: You know, he's he's called the deceiver. Um, you know, we, uh, we have glimpses of him before the fall, but after the fall, he's he's very much described as the accuser. Uh, so he is always trying to thwart uh, his image bearers from fulfilling their destiny.
0: Okay. So here was my question that I kept reading about and thinking about and praying about all week long. We, we actually, as a team, Uh, We meet every week back here in this other, we call this our our war room or spiritual war room, and we begin to sound out this lesson just to make sure we're all on the same page. And uh, I actually asked the question, where did Satan come from? Like, how did this snake get to this point? If you go to Genesis 1-1, can everybody go there? Genesis 1-1, now this is where it gets a little bit what we call the pot being stirred. Genesis 1-1, it says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 1-2, it says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. So, now all of a sudden, in verse 1-2, to you have this weird gap. Go back to Genesis 1-1, will you, Kevin, please? So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Ray do you think that this is a possibility that angels at least could be a representation in Genesis 1-1? Yes. I don't know. This is not a, I'm not hanging on my hat, but I, in my mind, when I'm trying to process where did Satan come from, specifically as an angel before he fell, like I have to know God, God created him. Do you guys believe that? So God created an angel, and then this angel eventually fell. Maybe between Genesis 1.1 and Genesis 1.2, there could be the fall of Satan. Think about it. In the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth, and all of a sudden in verse 2, now you have something that's formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. Do you think of God's creation as that? So you have to wonder, maybe. I'm not, this is not 100%. Ray, you want to tie this up at all?
1: There's something to me that's happened between Genesis one one and Genesis one two, and you know, no way to prove anything theories. Uh, But here's what we know: is that by the time that Adam and Eve are in the garden, Satan has already fallen because he's entered this snake and he's a deceiver, and that's not the way he was originally created. That's right. So whether you think it happened between Genesis one one and one two, it really doesn't matter. Uh, What matters is. He is already in a fallen state in the, when he's tempting Eve.
0: So how did he get to this point? There's a couple texts in scripture uh, that would talk about Satan's fall. Can you guys go to Isaiah 14, if you would, please? Everybody go to Isaiah 14, 12 through 17. Now, whenever you're in the major prophets, like in Isaiah's or the Jeremiah's, okay, they're always talking about situations here and now and down the road. Okay, so I'm already going to make that out there so you guys can see. It could be talking about this person, but then there's something else. In in Isaiah 14, 12 and on, okay, it says a shining morning star. How you have fallen from the heavens. This morning star, this morning star actually means in Latin, Lucifer. Interesting enough, Christ, the morning star, counters that in Revelation. But I got to have you set the stage at the beginning. So look how far you have fallen from the heavens. You destroyer of nations. Keep going with me, Kevin. You have been cut down to the ground. Verse 13, it then says this. You said to yourself, now you're going to get, I'm going to write these out here. Okay. Five I wills. Five I wills. This is describing what I believe part of the reason Satan was driving to take over the throne of God. Okay, one of the first I wills is I will ascend to the heavens. Okay, so this is one of your I wills. I will ascend to the heavens. Okay? Now, this is five I wills that I believe is describing Satan. And then look what he says. I will what? Set up my throne. Okay. Uh, Can you go, Kevin, for me? Go to Revelation 12, verse, uh, I believe, 4. Go to Revelation 12, verse 4. Yeah, it says this. Okay, this is interesting. It says, it says, his tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she did give birth, he might devour her child. Okay, do you see the third of the stars? Do you see the tie-in to Isaiah 14? He says, I will set up my throne above the stars. So in that process of pursuing above God, he brought a third of the angels with him. That talks about it in Revelation 12. But you see, in order to understand the battle, you guys, there's so many little pieces throughout Scripture that you have to understand what is Satan's goal and objective. So he says, I'm going to set up my throne above the stars of God. And by the way, I'm taking a third with me. So a third of the angels now become demons, fallen angels. Everybody with me? Sometimes when you kind of go like this, it's just kind of like, what? Okay, go back, Kevin, if you would. Thank you for Isaiah 14. Okay, I'm in the third I wills, okay? The third I wills. He then says, I'm going to sit on the mount of the God's assembly. Ray, as I'm watching, uh, writing this, you want to expand on that a little bit?
1: Well, in this sense, uh, because it's the, you know, lowercase g, again, I, yep. I believe he's talking about uh, we see in Isaiah where God would hold council, yep. and and the uh, sons of God would come before us. So apparently, you know, God holds these uh, assemblies or courts where angels are in front of him and he is wanting to be now the one that is sitting on top right. of the rulership of those assemblies.
0: And so he's saying, guys, I'm trying to take the throne. There's there's no other way around it. And by the way, all these other people, when you assemble, I'm going to be in front of them. Good explanation, Ray. Okay, let's keep going to number four, if we can. Uh, Number four, he just says this, I will ascend. It's all the same language, you guys. But I will ascend above the highest clouds. I think in fairness, that's pretty, pretty obvious. I want to be it. And then finally, he, if, you, if you didn't get the first uh, four I wills, if you missed all of them and you're only going to write one point of Satan, I will make myself like the most high. So, at some point, at some point, okay, Satan, somewhere from Genesis 1-1 and on, somewhere, somehow, this started to take place. And we know that it had to have happened, okay? We know this, that it had to have happened. So, let's just say we have God and he did creation, okay? We know Genesis 1-1, okay? We don't know a time frame here, but it is fair to say that the fall of Satan took place. How many angels came with him? A third. You have to understand that, you guys, because he now has some help to destroy all of us. The battle is in right now because of Isaiah 14. You see this picture unfolding. But when you wake up, do you even believe that? Do you embrace that? So, interesting enough, fall of Satan is a third. Now, at some point, enter in, enter in you have the Garden of Eden. So, when he comes into the Garden, he's already a fallen angel. Can you go now to Ezekiel man, go to Ezekiel 28? Here, Lord. Ezekiel 28, verse 13. Now, this says, you were in Eden, the Garden of God. Do we know for sure that this is the garden? We don't know that. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to say that it is. It could be, or it could be a reference to something else. Okay, all I want to just say is there's there's something here. So it says every kind of precious stone covered you: carnelian, topaz, and diamond. And then it keeps going: barrel, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, emerald. Your mountings and settings were crafted in gold. They were prepared on the day you were created. I'm in Ezekiel 28, verse 14. You were an anointed guardian cherub. In other words, at some point, a cherub is an angel. Okay? At some point, you were one of my guys. Right? At some point, this prophet Ezekiel is saying, "Yes, Satan was. Now remember, I know there's talking about political figures, but it also could be talking about down the road or in reference to back behind of Satan multiple language and layers of what this could look like, and he says, I appointed you, you are on the holy mountain of God, you walked among the fiery stones, from the day you were created, you were blameless in your ways until wickedness was found in you, in verse 15, though the abundance, for the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned, so I expelled you in disgrace, from the mountain of God and banished you guardian cherub from among the fiery stones. Watch this in verse 17. Your heart became proud because of your beauty. For the sake of your splendor, you corrupted your wisdom. Ray, you want to tie in, if you don't mind, you have uh, Isaiah 14 and then you have Ezekiel 28. Anything else you want to speak into that?
1: Well, uh, uh, combining those two, you get a more full picture of what happened. Yeah. Uh, I believe that he, if you look at those stones, I think eight out of the nine are the same stones that are on the high priest ephod uh, in the temple. Good. And so I reach a conclusion uh, that he was some kind of high priest functioning before God, and it's why his words were persuasive to a third of the angels. They bought into it and he basically said, we can seize the throne and take this thing over. They bought into it and it totally corrupted them. When you mix those two together, I think you get a pretty clear picture of what happened.
0: Yeah. And it really even ties into Revelation 12. Yep. Can you go to Revelation 12, seven through 10? By the way, welcome to, to number our days. It's just like fire hose. Here we go. So Revelation 12, Now, do you understand that the book of Revelation is not, Kevin, what's the word? Linear. Kevin, what does linear mean? It's not necessarily in order from event to event. Okay, so just because you read Revelation 1 and then you read Revelation 9 and then Revelation 14 doesn't mean it's all in a great perfect timeline. So when you read Revelation 12, 7, it says, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael, that's the good guy, and his angels fought against the dragon. Who's the dragon? Satan. So Michael's fighting against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought. So now we got this crazy battle. By the way, Ephesians 6 is right here. The battle is in the heavenlies. But he could not prevail, and there was no place for them in heaven any longer. Woo! I'm sorry. No room for you. Verse 9. So the great dragon was thrown out. Who's the great dragon? Satan. Satan. The great dragon was thrown out. Who is he fighting, Ray? Uh, All of the angels. All of the angels. Mainly Michael. Michael. Michael and all the angels fighting Satan and all of his little minions. And then they say, there's no room for you. You're thrown out. The ancient serpent, there it is. Garden of Eden. Description. Who's called the devil and Satan. He's got two names and a whole lot more. The one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown where? To the... Earth. He wasn't thrown into hell. He wasn't thrown in the shield. He was thrown here. Revelation 12, uh, and by the way, and his angels were with him. Revelation, 12, seven through 10, could be a picture of all of this. Can you guys go to Luke 10? Luke 10, verse 18. Jesus talks about this. Jesus himself, our Messiah, in Luke 10, verse 18, he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a lightning flash. Well, according to Revelation 12, where did he fall? To earth. earth. In uh, 2 Corinthians, Kevin, can you go there? 2 Corinthians 4, 4. This is how Satan is described today. Second Corinthians four, four says in their case, the God of this age, Satan is called the God of this age. This is who he is. Go to John 12 verse 31. John 12 verse 31. It says this, and this is just another picture. Now the ruler, now, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. But what does that imply? He's currently the ruler of this world. So he might've fallen. Yes. He might be here on earth. Yes. But in scripture, it says he is the little God of this place. But you have to understand something, you guys. <laughs> this is the best. His time is oh so short. Because <laughs> eventually, uh, he will be cast into hell. So I want to kind of wrap up this lovely part (laughs) Satan eventually in Revelation 20 He goes from Revelation 12 where he's cast out of heaven and then into Revelation 20. He's cast into hell So there's this period of time that this ruler of this age the God of this world has time What's funny about Genesis 3 for me is whenever I studied it I didn't feel like I was supposed to focus on much except the heavy end of here, okay? And then I'm gonna actually just read through this, I'm not gonna teach through much, you'll see why. So the serpent was, I'm in verse one, the serpent was most cunning, I'm in Genesis three, verse one. Uh, and by the way, uh, Kevin is a, an ambassador along with a, another lady, Lori, in Cameroon, okay? It's a country in Africa, and they listen to Revive School. And I just found out a new nickname I have. Apparently I talk fast they called me the machine gun. (laughs) So, I apologize if I talk so fast and you can't read my writing. It's recorded. You can listen to it later. (laughs) Okay. So, here you have the serpent. He was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And so, the serpent said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any of the tree in the garden? Verse two, the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. I'm sorry. He didn't say the touch it part. So what happens is when you begin to hang out and expose yourself to things of Satan, can I just say the word becomes distorted? He begins to just enough twist it or just enough to, can I even say add to it? Nah, you, you won't die, the serpent said to the woman. Verse 5, in fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open like God. There it is. Knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that the tree was good, for <laughs> food and delightful to look at, and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was just standing there, apparently, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open. And they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Verse 8 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And can I just, man, There's every verse we could just have a whole sermon on. Just evening breeze, how God speaks through the breeze over and over. I did a study actually on this, for this lesson. We're not even going to get into it, but God speaks. In the wind and the whisper. And they hid themselves from the lord god among the trees of the garden oh like they're gonna get away with it right again i'm not here to teach on certain parts here for for a reason so they're hiding and then it's the first game of hide and seek then the lord god said called out to the man he said hey where are where are you hey where are you like doesn't see them oh uh. Does anybody else think that's funny? I I think it's just strange. And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Adam says this. And then he asked God, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? Then the man replied, the woman that you gave to me, to to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. In other words, it was your gift, your problem. (laughs) That's a Seinfeld episode right there. And so he calls out God and, well, that, that doesn't really work. So the Lord God asked the woman, fine, you want to play that game? What does it say you've done? And the woman said it was the serpent. Anybody ever heard the phrase, the devil made me do it? That's straight out of Genesis 3.13. I mean, it was a serpent. He deceived me and then I ate. Everybody's passing the buck. When you look at this. Genesis 3 looks different. And so now you have the fall of man. And so let me do this. Let me, let me, uh, Kevin, let's go to verse, thanks. Go to verse 14. So here's what happens because of the judgment. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed more than any livestock. And more than any wild animal, you'll move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. There's the quote-unquote curse, okay? Can you imagine what a horrible life that is? You gotta eat dust for the rest of your life. Uh, Can I just say this in verse 16? I skip 15 for a second. Verse 16, he then says, by the way, uh, you're going to have increased pain in childbirth. You're going to have a desire for your husbands. And oh, by the way, in verse 17 for Adam, uh, by the way, you're going to have to work your tail off and you're going to have to keep working your tail off. So there's lots of curses that came upon, right? Judgment that came upon the woman, the man, and the serpent. And watch this in verse 15. This is how I want to wrap it all up today, okay? Verse 15, it just says this. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So now you have the massive battle. Okay. And in this battle, you literally have now in Genesis 3, verse 15, you have Satan versus Jesus or Satan. Okay. Let me just say, uh, see, I'm going to put this in here as well. This is the first prophetic picture of Christ. This is also what we would call, possibly some people call it the first gospel in the Old Testament, okay? Why, what does that look like? Well, this is really fun to see. The seed actually implies offspring, okay? The seed can in- imply uh, descendants. It could refer to an individual. It could refer to a group of people. But in Genesis 3.15, I'm gonna put hostility. Hostility would mean what, Ray? Uh, Enmity. enmity. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't like you. Yeah. I don't like you. You don't like me. And yeah. here's, here's how the fight goes. Okay. The fight could also reference, and I'm going to give you some pictures here because this is really cool as the promised one, as the coming Messiah. And I have to write this one. This is really important of Israel. Okay. You'll see why. And you'll also see that this is a messianic term. Okay. Now here's what it says. It says, I'm going to strike your heel. Ray, what do you think that means? I believe it's the crucifixion because it wasn't a fatal wound
1: because Jesus resurrected. I believe that was his striking the heel of, of Jesus. And it's where, a uh, kind of on that dust level where a snake can bite.
0: Okay. So when you say strike your head, then what do you think that means?
1: I believe it's the, uh, defeat of Satan, yep. uh, where he was defeated at the cross and in his ultimate defeat. At the end of the millennium whenever he is put into a fiery prison
0: okay i want to slow that down just for a second the strike your heel implies you're not dead you're bruised you're not dead you're injured you're not dead you're suffering right same language the strike your head it's implying it's done it's done the head is done and it happened what ray said through the cross so the battle is, is that these two are going to keep going at it, right? They're going to keep going at it. This is the mentality. And he, he, it's literally predicted that there's going to be a fight. But you have to understand this fight. This fight is between these two, Satan versus Jesus. The battle has begun. And in this process, okay, you have to understand that this language of seed, th- this is really my, my favorite, this language of seed, How do we know that that's Christ? Can you go to Galatians 3, Kevin? Galatians 3, verse 16. This is like, ah. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as though referring to many, but referring to one and to your seed, who is Christ. Once you understand seed language, you will begin to understand the 66 books of the Bible. But until you see that this is Christ in Genesis 3.15, you might not understand the battle. Uh, uh, Galatians three verse nineteen, just as a one more emphasis, Galatians 3.19, uh, it says, Why then was the law given? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law is put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Here is that same language uh, in in 20 then. It's just now a mediator is not just for one person, but but God is one. You see the seed language? How can you prove Genesis 3.15? Very clearly. Galatians 3.16 and 19. Does that make sense? So why is that important? It's important to understand this because this battle between these two is going to go on and on until when, Ray?
1: Well, there's going to be a defeat at uh, Armageddon, but the, and then Satan is bound for a thousand years. That's right. And then once he's released again, then he's, uh, he's sentenced and forever
0: uh, will spend his eternity in hell. Can we go to Re- uh, Romans 16? Romans 16, verse 20. Romans 16, verse 20. In Romans 16, verse 20, watch this. Okay. Romans 16, verse 20. You guys have been very patient. Thanks. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under whose feet? Our feet. Our feet, our feet. Our feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Here's what I want to do. So remember the theme of our whole series is to number our days. So the fall of man happens, right? Oh, I ran out of room. So let's just do this. The fall of man happens, but then comes Genesis 3.15, which says we have hope in the seed of Christ, right? And in this process, we know with this promise that the God of peace will soon crush Satan. So If you were to number our days according to this verse, how do you do that? If we're in a battle, how do you do this? Can I just say you walk with authority that the victory has already been won? You walk as if you're an ambassador of Christ that says, I'm not in living in defeat of Genesis 1 through 3 at the beginning. I'm actually not living in the posture of 1 Corinthians 15 where death no longer has any sting. And so for me, if you understand that Satan literally will be crushed under your feet, we should truly start walking. We've got to deliver this good news of the gospel. And yet I don't understand we live as if we've lost. Romans 16, 20 is so clear. You have won when you walk with the authority of Christ. can bank my hat on all kinds of prophetic verses, but for me, this one is just incredible. Walk it out. And you know, there's a lot of layers here. Uh, I just want to say thanks for your your patience in this. Um, In 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says, do not be ignorant of Satan's schemes. Don't be ignorant. And his whole goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. Any way he can bring you down, he will. Now, when we jump into the future of uh, Abraham. When we jump into the future of Israel, you got to understand Genesis 3.15 in order to move forward. And so I just want to say thanks for, for dialing in today. This was kind of a, a fire hose of, yeah, you can one up, David, a fire hose of, of beginnings, but hopefully it sets the stage for how we can walk this thing out. And so, Father, I just say thanks for, thanks for today. Thanks for this crew. God, I ask that you'd bring it clarity to whatever was just said. I pray that you'd remove any fear, any doubt and full clarity. Jesus, we we love you. And I just say thank you for coming back to life. Uh, Satan's time is so short. He's living on borrowed time. And God, I pray that we would walk in authority and see more people come to know Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.